chapter 13. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. Pray that you would teach us, help us, God, clear the clutter from our eyes and our ears and our hearts so that we can see and hear and understand what we need to understand for our days, our lives, our relationships, that you would teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. He was 12 years old when he started sneaking his dad's cigarettes. It was pretty cool to impress his buddies with making smoke circles. She started cheating on her schoolwork in the seventh grade. No one seemed to notice, and her friends didn't even seem to care. She actually was given a pack of gum by one boy who she gave some answers to. He started paying more attention to the stories in the back of the bus that the older boys were telling. They were laughing, and he found himself wanting to be with them and hoping that they would notice that he was growing taller and maybe someday he could be part of their gang. He'd been told by a few of his friends questionable friends, fringe friends, that his little concern over pornography was no big deal, and that he'd be getting married soon, and that would take care of any of his problems. The bottle she found was less than half full when she first saw it. She left it there, but it made her awful curious. No one will even notice if I just taste it. That first taste was awful and nasty, but compelling. In the next two hours, she tried several more tastes. Each one seemed to be a little less nasty. And now she was holding an empty body a bottle, and she was shocked at how easy that was. We're coming to a place of Scripture that's a turning point in the book of Joshua. They worked hard, they've conquered the land, and now we come into the allotment of the land. And the dispersion of the land, of the land that they've taken, their inheritance, the promised land that God had promised to them for hundreds of years, and now they're there, and they're in the land, and they battled, and they took the land. And so I want to take just a few minutes, if you want to put that uh, map up on the board, and I know that you can't understand exactly, and I have a little, look at that. Is that cool or what? So, okay. So, the Jordan River right down the center, okay? You have the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea. 
Over here is Assyria and Babylon. And over here is the Mediterranean. And you have them about right there when they're entering into the Promised Land when they cross the Jordan River. They spent their campaigns now, and they're dividing up the land. And these are the two and a half tribes that stayed on the east side of the Jordan River, the tribe of Reuben, tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And the other half-tribe of Manasseh is on the west side of the Jordan. And so what we're going to talk about today in chapter 13 is just the, the entering into the land, and they're going to, he's going to go back and he's saying, this is the land that Moses gave the people that wanted to stay on this side of the Jordan River, two and a half tribes, because they were cattlemen, and they saw that on that side of the river, there was good for cattle. And that's recorded back in the book of Numbers. And Moses said, how after all this time, he's talking to these two and a half tribes, when they said, hey, can we stay on this side? The first response was a little bit of irritation and anger. And he said, how can you guys do this? How can you let your brothers go in across the land, the promised land, while you rest here? And so they made a deal that these two and a half tribes would go in with the other tribes, and they'd go in and they'd conquer the land, and they wouldn't come home. They would leave their women and children back home, and they wouldn't go back until the land was conquered. So now it's seven years later, roughly, and they've gone in with the other tribes, and they've conquered the land. Now Reuben and Gad and Manasseh, the warriors, can go back across. But it's very interesting. They're going to find out there's some complications with what has gone place here. And I want to remind us, just briefly, if you look up to the north, you have the, the Hittites, and along the shore were the Sidonians and the Philistines, and down here was uh, the Edomites, and the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Canaanites were in the center of the land. And they were supposed to drive these people out, not to intermarry with them, not to intermingle with them. Because if they did, they would have serious problems. And going back, uh, one last look at the map there. Did I click it off? I don't know how to re-click it. Anybody know how to use this thing? <laughs> Okay, you saw the picture. Draw your Jordan River. On one side is the Mediterranean. And I, I want to get a big picture of this. On one side, after you cross the Jordan River, on the far side of the border, you have the Mediterranean. You have the comfort of the lapping waters on the beach. On the other side, before you cross the Jordan River, where the Gadites and the Reubenites and the half-tribe of Manasseh stayed, you have the barrenness and the harshness of the desert. Hundreds of miles of desert till you get all the way over to the Tigris and Euphrates River. You have the Armenians, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Moabites, the Hittites. Up to the north are the Hittites. And I'm just talking about the borders now. The Mediterranean, the desert. Up north are the Hittites. And everybody wants to upgrade, so you want to go up north. And down below to the west was Egypt. And there was the pole of the return to the good old days. And so this is the what we're looking at, the big picture. 
And the comparison, and I'll finish up with those uh, stories I started with in the beginning. But the idea is, when we get to chapter 13, read with me a little bit here. It says, When Joshua was old and well advanced in years, the Lord said to him, You are very old, and you are still a large areas of land to take over. Now, when someone tells you who's lived forever, Somebody who's eternal tells you that you are very old. You are very old. And I couldn't resist, and I hope this isn't uh, too out of line, but I couldn't resist a couple of if you're old jokes. How you know if you're old? Because it's pretty interesting that it says Joshua's old, and in, when it says that he's well advanced in years, that means he's pretty much worn out, and he looks it. Even though we come to the end of Joshua, we know he lives to 110. And right now, he's roughly around 85, 90 years old. And it's beginning to show. And so, you know you're getting old when the God who's lived forever tells you that you're very old. But listen, getting old, that's the goal, right? You go, you're getting old. When your knees buckle, but your belt can't. <laughs> you know you're getting old when you sink your teeth into a juicy steak and they stay there. You know you're getting old when your friend compliments you on your brand new alligator cowboy boots and you're wearing bare feet. And you know you're getting old for a man when you got to shave your ears. You know you were getting old for a woman when you try to brush the hair off your collar and you realize it's connected to your chin. <laughs> but can you imagine? This is what we're dealing with. When this, everybody's aging. Everybody does age. But when Joshua was old and well advanced in years, the Lord said to him, You are very old, and there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. And I want to read, put Joshua in the middle, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Judges. And I need to set the stage so that we get the picture and we get a full understanding of what's going on. And we're just going to look at the big picture today, and then we're going to come back and unpack more of it. But I need to read something for us to set the stage back in Numbers chapter 33. This is when they reached the edge of the Jordan area. They conquered 60 cities on their way up, and they haven't crossed the Jordan River yet. And Moses says to them in Numbers 33, verse 50, On the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, across from Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into Canaan, drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. Destroy all their carved images, their cast idols, demolish their high places, take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given it to you. Distribute the land by lot according to your clans. To a larger clan, give a larger inheritance. To a smaller group, a smaller one. Whatever falls to them by lot will be theirs. Distrib distribute it according to your ancestral tribes. But, 
But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes, thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you live. And then I will do to you what I plan to do to them. You fast forward to Judges chapter 1. And I'm going to read. So we know these tribes. They went into the land. They took over the land. And then you read in Judges chapter 1 verse 19. The Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains. Verse 21, the Benjamites, however, failed to dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the Benjamites. Now the house of Joseph attacked Bethel, and the Lord was with them. You go on to verse 27, but Manasseh did not drive out the people of Bashan or Megiddo and the surrounding settlements, for the Canaanites were determined to live in the land. When Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but they never drove them out completely. Verse 29, Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer. Verse 30, Neither did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites living in Kitron. Verse 31, Nor did Asher drive out those living in Aku or Sidon. And then down to verse 33, Neither did Naphtali drive out those living in Beth Shemesh. And it says that the Amorites confined the Danites to the hill country. Now you go back to Joshua chapter 13. And we had just read in chapter 12, king after king after king who had been uh, destroyed and the land had been taken over. And it might lead you to believe, just like often happens, if you become a Christian, all you got to do is say the name of Jesus, you're good to go. All your problems will be taken care of, no worries, easy street. We may misunderstand that from here to the grave, we'll battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And God had prepared them. He gave them instructions, the whole book of Deuteronomy, leading them up to the land. Numbers Deuteronomy and told them, listen, you have to be careful to pay attention. Do not forget my instructions. Do not forsake me. If you turn away, it will not go well with you. I want it to go well with you. I've given you these instructions. You need to listen to me. Don't intermarry. Don't intermingle. Don't worship their gods. Don't worship the way they worship. And so we find ourselves in this predicament. He realized that he was spending quite a bit of time online. But at least he was socializing something his wife said he needed more of. And he found it easier to chat with people here than in person. He was, he was actually able to talk with some people from back from high school. One particular lady seemed to be dropping hints that she was enjoying their conversations too. After a few months, he agreed to meet with her for lunch in a public place. No harm. He was never comfortable being around babies. 
In fact, he hardly ever touched one. It was no surprise that he avoided watching the new baby by himself for the first eight months. It wasn't hard since his mother rarely parted with the baby. But there seemed to be no way to work around this new work schedule. He would have his son by himself for at least an hour and a half each day before his girlfriend made it home from work. He liked the kid. That wasn't the issue. But it was the constant crying because the baby had colic for weeks now. And they were losing sleep and he could feel his fuse growing short. With the seemingly endless screaming, his anger was just boiling over. The road construction detour directed him through a new part of town that he rarely traveled. But with the extra 20 minutes added to his schedule before dinner and the busy traffic, he needed at least a banana or an apple, something to tide him over before dinner. So he'd been stopping off and on for weeks at Bill's Quick Stop. But now, he was no longer sure if it was the snack or if it was the chance to see Julie. He convinced himself it didn't matter. Just a short stop and visit. What could the harm be in that? And he set his foot in the net and he spirals. Why do we dabble in things that disarm us? Things that draw us away from family values, from truth, from purity, from goodness. Why do we put things before our eyes and our ears that dim our vision of God, that deafen our ears to His voice and dull our hearts? The Bible tells us again and again, warns us again and again, that our hearts are deceitful above all else, that we shouldn't be trusting our own way that we should keep our eyes fixed on God. And so when we read about the taking of the land and how they were going to allocate the land, let me read from verse 6, and I'm not going to read all the details, so we're just looking at chapter 13 right now, the big picture of God um, gave him the land and the first tribes that settled in the eastern side of before they crossed the Jordan. It says in verse 6, As for all the inhabitants of the mountain regions from Lebanon to Mizrath, Mayam, that is, all the Sidonians, I myself will drive them out before the Israel. Be sure to allocate this land to Israel for the inheritance I have instructed you, and divide it as an inheritance among the nine and a half tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. Verse 8 the other half-tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites, had received an inheritance that Moses had given them on the east side of the Jordan. And then you read down about the directions and the dimensions of the land, and you come to verse 13. But it says, The Israelites did not drive out the people of Geshur and Maka, And so they continue to live among the Israelites to this day. And I found an interesting verse as I did my research and study, reading this again and again, and um, trying to get the big picture. If you were to go forward, you can mark the verse down, First Chronicles chapter 5, talking about the same group of people, talking about the same land area. And it says in chapter 5, these were the heads of the families that the half-tribe of Manasseh that took over that land. In verse 25 of chapter 5, 1 Chronicles, it says, 
but they were unfaithful to God of their fathers and prostituted themselves to the gods of the people of the land whom God had destroyed before them. Even though God gave them that territory on the east side, they mingled with the tribes that were around them. And if you remember back from Numbers chapter 25, this guy named Balaam, he taught them and showed them how to be seduced and introduced them into all kinds of evil practices of the Moabite people that were there. And so we find out while we're reading them taking over the land, there was little hints that they didn't do what God asked them to do. And they were leaving, whether for um, humanitarian reasons of compassion or whether it was for, hey, this looks like some nice people. They're nice folks. Let's just leave them here. And we like their gods and we like their Asherah poles and we like their sacred altars. And so they just left them in the land. And you began to realize this becomes a serious problem. And as you read in chapter 14... Or 13, chapter 15, chapter 16, chapter 17, over and over, it says the same thing. I, I picked up the phrases, and I want to point them out to you. It says in chapter 15, just skip to the end of chapter 15, it's the allotment of the land for Judah. And you come to the verse 63 of 15. And it says, Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the people of Judah. And I just put a big question mark. What? What? Because it's listed in the kings that were taken over in chapter 12. Jerusalem, one. And then you realize that um, in the midst in Jerusalem, it's not taken over till Second Samuel chapter five by King David. So they left right in the heart of the land, kind of like going to the dentist. Can you imagine? You walk out of the dentist, and she says, or he says, "Great job! You only have one cavity. Come back next week. We'll fix it up." So you come back, you get it fixed up, you walk out of there. All right, I'm finished. My teeth are perfect. I'll never have to brush again. That's the idea. I'm thinking about Leila. She has this infection in her hip, in the bone of her hip, in the marrow of her bone. It needs to be treated. Left untreated, infection spreads. You go to um, chapter 16. You look at verse... Well, let's go up to verse... Um, the allotment for Joseph. Okay, And Joseph's allotment, you'll never see Joseph there. You'll see um, his two kids, Manasseh and Ephraim. And so it says that the allotment from the Jordan to Jericho, of the eastern waters of Jericho, and up through there... The desert into the hill country of Bethel. Verse 2. It went from Bethel. Well, Bethel is listed in chapter 12 as one of the kings that were conquered. Cross over to the territory of the Erkites in Atura. Descended westward to the territory of the Japhelites as far as the region of Lower Bethhoron and on to Gezer, ending at the sea. And you're like, on oh, wait. Both Gezer and Bethel are listed in the kings that were conquered. But... Did they do a thorough job? Did they take out all? 
You go up to the end of the chapter, verse 10. They did not dislodge the Canaanites living in Gezer. To this day, the Canaanites live among the people. These are the same people, the Canaanites, who offer their children as sacrifices on burning altars. These are the same Canaanites that practice all the despicable practices that are listed in Leviticus. Do not have sex with an animal. Do not have sex with your sister. All those things listed in there, these are the kind of people that are there and you either dislodge them or they creep into your life. Go to chapter 17, verse 12. Yet Manasseh, the, the Manassites were not able to occupy these towns for the Canaanites were determined. Now listen, I read that and I'm going, who's more determined, the people of God or the enemies of God? He already told them. We just sang about it. I will go before you. I will guide you. This is your inheritance. I've given it to you. Yet the Manassites were not able. Does that mean not able or does it mean not willing? Because you read on and it says, However, when the Israelites grew stronger, they did subject the Canaanites to forced labor, but they did not drive them out completely. So what's the problem? What's going on? Read a little further. Chapter 18, verse 3. So Joshua said to the Israelites, How long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord gave you? The God of your forefathers have given you. Because there were still seven more. All the way to chapter 18, there's still seven more um, tribes that haven't gone in and taken the land. So it was interesting. I was doing some interviews this week, and I called somebody, and I said, Hey, listen, as an older married man, have you ever heard in the dealings that you deal with when you meet with some younger couples, and I try to do this often, there, um, and it was included in one of my stories here, that uh, I say to the young man, you know you're going to say yes to her in a couple weeks, right? Or a couple months. He's, oh, yeah, I'm going to say yes. What are you going to say when you get up there? Oh, I'm going to say I do. Well, buddy, let me tell you this. When you say yes to her, you say no to every other woman, including pictures. And then you have the discussion. And I said to the man, I said, hey, did you ever have a young man tell you, you know what, I might have a little porn issue, pornography, but uh, that I'm getting married soon. It will all be taken care of. This guy on the other end of the phone almost fell off his chair laughing not so much because it was funny, but because it's just so ridiculous. You and I know. We, we love to see the weddings and the marriages, and we, we, we pray for the couple as they ride off into the sunset, and we love them and we want to encourage them. But you and I both know if you've been married for any length of time, it's not only sunsets they will face. They will face dark nights. They will face lonely times. They will face troubles. They will face the people around them. They'll face the community. They'll face the media. They'll face people that want in. And so when I read again and again, I didn't want us to have the wrong picture and misunderstand why God would warn them again and again and again. When you move into the land, there are people there that are not 
your friends, as far as your relationship with me. They might tell you stories. They might make a treaty with you. They might try to say, you know what, we'll be good servants. That's like with anything that wants to bring us down. Sin will take you where you never intended to go. It will promise you things it can never deliver. And it will leave you emptier than you ever could imagine you could be. And so God clearly laid this out. And Israel will have to occupy the land that is their inheritance. They'll have to be faithful. They'll have to be obedient. They'll have to allow for the provision of God that He's given them. And you and I as Christians now, we think about the provisions, the inheritance we have as Christians. I'll give you a couple uh, verses in the New Testament. One is in Ephesians chapter 1. And if you read through Ephesians chapter 1, you would find close to between 17 and 22 things that you inherit as a Christian when you come to Christ and you put your faith in Christ and the promises that He will give to you and the inheritance you have in Him. So I'm going to read from um, Ephesians chapter 1 just a few verses. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in Him before the creation of the world that we might be holy and blameless. He adopted us as sons in accordance with the pleasure of His will to the praise of His glorious grace. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. We have an understanding of His wisdom. And He made all this known to us because of His good pleasure and His will. Verse 11, in Him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything with the conformity of His will. And you were also included in Christ, verse 13, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So just between chapter 13 and chapter 21, I believe the word inheritance is used 50 times. And inheritance is something you receive from somebody who's gone before you, something by a covenant or a contract that is left to those to whom you choose to leave it. And this land, by God's design, was left to these people but they were to live and to thrive according to God's command. And I want us to not just be discouraged on the journey, but I want us to think about, there was trouble when they stayed on the border. Because on the backside was the desert and the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Edomites and the um, up on the top where there are Armenians and the Ammonites. And that was their border. And it's interesting, have you checked your borders lately? Have you checked your gates? Have you checked your fences? Have you checked up what you're bumping up against by the choices you make on a regular basis in your life? If your borders aren't secure, the Bible tells us, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. But those springs go both ways. 
And we need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our minds, guard our eyes. But we need to be encouraged on the journey to not become borderline believers. We need to enter into all that God has for us. I'm so grateful, and I know that my wife would concur. We are so grateful that one of the things that we've inherited as Christians is forgiveness. And you know what? We've needed it in our marriage. We're thankful that we inherited the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We've needed it. We've needed it. We've needed God's transforming power in our hearts throughout our marriage on a consistent basis. And in the seasons and the times where we did not live into our inheritance and the weeds grew up and the little foxes that spoiled the vine and the bitterness and the greed and the angry and the lust and whatever else that we leave causes walls between us. And I see that here. And I want us to be careful what we're doing when we think about entering the land, when we think about where we're going, when we think about what we're doing, when we think about what the Scripture is trying to teach us. So the big picture, you begin to understand why God told Moses to tell the people over and over again, be careful to obey, remember the Lord and His commands, do not follow the gods of the people whose land you are entering into. Do not forsake the Lord. Do not forget to observe all that the Lord is telling you. And he says specifically, when you enter into the land in chapter 7, and you settle in there and you're satisfied, do not forget. Watch over your hearts. Check your borders. Check your gates. And those that were staying on the back side, on the east side, why are you so bent on leaving the family? Unless that is that you're outside the family. God warned them over and over again that the goodness of the land flowing with milk and honey was not to be entered lightly, not to be taken for granted. They were not to be entitled. They were gifted and they were responsible. With the gifts and freedom come great responsibility, great accountability. And so it's a good thing for us to remember. We're going to go through these chapters and we're going to see, but I wanted to paint the big picture of what's going on here. That there's lots of land left to conquer. And we're going to encounter Caleb and his fierce determination to take out the Canaanites who was just determined, but he was more determined in chapter 14. And we're going to go through and we're going to see there's lots of lessons to learn here, even after they enter into the land. And by the time we get to chapter 24, you'll be just as amazed as I am at the proclivity of the human heart to gather idols. At the proclivity of the human heart and the human nature to put things in our life that distract us from what we started on the commitments we made, our walk with God, of inheriting all that God has for us. You cannot, you cannot change your own heart. You cannot depend on your own strength. You cannot depend on your own brilliance. 
to face the giants that are in the land. Only God can change the heart. And to try to change your own heart is like washing dishes in dirty water and using that same dirty water to rinse the dish. Double-minded, half-hearted, self-dependent, self-reliant. And we need to look to God again and again. And this is the lesson. Scripture tells us everything that was written in the past is written to teach us. Father, help us as we study and we read your word. Help us, God, if we're sitting here today like I am, and there's times I haven't taken it as serious as I should. I haven't listened to your warning. I haven't delighted my heart in your lessons. I haven't stayed on the straight path, but I've left to follow other things, pursue things that were not good for me. I pray, God, that you would help us to see our need for you, help us to see what you've provided for us in prayer and forgiveness and fellowship and redemption and reconciliation, the power of the blood of Jesus to wash us from all sin. Confession, repentance, so that we can be free from the things that you convict us of and we understand that are wrong because of that conviction of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord God, to be determined to trust you, to remember that in a race all the runners run, but we are to run in such a way as to get the prize, and you are that prize. Help us, Lord, not take for granted that somebody else is going to win the battle for us. Somebody else is going to conquer our greed or our lust or our covetousness or our anger. But we need to bring our hearts and our lives to you and lay them at your throne. Then we will have our way in you. Lead us and guide us in Jesus' name.